Welcome back to In My Feels. I am JRE. And I'm Emily. Happy early birthday. Thank you. Almost 30. Wow. That's a, How does it feel to number. say that? I accepted it. <laughs> I accepted it? <laughs> I, I accepted it at 28. Do you that f- it was going to happen. Do you feel like you're like 30? Do you feel like older? Uh, like does it feel different I mean, to say really that? I don't really look older. It is feel it does feel weird to say thirty to be honest. I, I'm not gonna lie, but it's not really that old if you think about it. But yeah, but they always make thirty that number, like thirties that that bridge, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> like after your thirties, that's when I feel like you're old, old, or you, you're you're done, you're done playing around. You're I guess. You're done. You what did they say? You're done. No. Is that how does the Jamaican say? You're done. No. Yeah, you're, you're done. done no. Okay. Uh, or it's not the same done, meaning, whatever. right? Uh, I don't think so. No? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I'm feeling all right. Uh, we'll see how it feels. Nice. I actually turn 30. Well, I know you had a special, like, 30s, 30, uh, I guess, sort of 30th, like, birthday present to yourself mm. and some and your, your followers and stuff like that. Um, a little collaboration with um, uh, Villain and Salvi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Decided to do like it was an idea a while back. Villain wanted me to like he always wanted to do a track with me because or some people there's a lot of actual other artists that might be a collaboration that said, Yo, you rap like fire low key. He's like, Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. He's like, we should do something. And I'm like, All right. So I take their word on it. So Villain was the first one of mine. He's like, Hey, you wanna do a track? We me and Salvi, we always been like working together. He's like my what do you call it? My output to be creative and musically. Oh. Because he's a music engineer, mixer, producer, singer, songwriter. You know, he does it all. He he really, he worked hard on this. So I got to give credit to him. Um, Like this is the most he worked, I think. Wow. I think it's because Villain was on this track. And it's not like some random like intro that I always do in the front of my reaction videos. <laughs> So, yeah, we uh, all connected and uh, sent him, like, the chorus. Villain messed with it and sent back his stuff. And then we just kept on going back and forth until we felt all three of us felt good with it. And it's, like, a solid project. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit more changes since the last time you heard it, Emily. What, oh, I, I, try, I was listening to the preview. Wait, and it comes out at what time? Uh, it's August 31st, 12 a.m. Hawaii time. So it's not, it's not the 31st here right now. Okay. At this moment. 12 a.m. Hawaii I know in time. Korea it's 31st. Yeah, yeah. So 12 a.m. Hawaii standard time. So that would be. So once it hits 12 a.m. That's 6 a.m. Eastern standard time. Yeah. And 3 a.m. Pacific so. standard time. And I think so, yeah. 7 p.m. Hawaii? I mean, uh, Korea? Korea time, yes. Wow, I think okay. we're we're so, on the thirty first, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. So it should be cool. I guess I hope people will like it. I mean, I I think it's pretty solid compared to like all the other things I've been done. I was like, oh shit, it's like I'm happy with it. I so. think it sounds nice. I mean, like a little. Did you make the the little teaser? No, that's all Salvi. Salvi worked on everything. He's he's imp- he's impressing me a lot actually. Um, but uh. Yeah, uh, it's basically about being underrated or our definition of what underrated means to us. And Villain just, Villain's lyrics is super personal. Like, I remember when I first got it, I was like, yo, what, you sure you want to put this on? He's calling out people. I don't know who he's calling out, but yeah, he's talking about the industry. 
Um, so it, his lyrics are interesting. Um. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If you guys are listening, go, go check it out. It should be out by this. Yeah. It should be out by this time. Yeah. So it should be out. So go check it out. Go check out underrated. Wait. It'll be on like streaming platforms. Uh. No. Because I didn't want to get paid, or this is not like a not a profit thing, so uh-huh. I didn't know how it works uh-huh. <laughs> for, for putting on Spotify and Apple. Yeah, this, this is more of a simple project. I never really wanted to make money off it, so it's probably gonna be on SoundCloud and YouTube. That's about it. Uh, okay. And if it takes off, I'll try to do something like maybe on like Spotify. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so there's potential. Let's see. Okay, okay. Yeah, we'll see how it does on YouTube or on SoundCloud. See the numbers and then. We'll see. Okay, good. Yeah, make sure you guys go check it out. Um, underrated on SoundCloud and YouTube and that kind of thing. Um, There'll be a link. Yeah, for sure. Perfect. Oh, that's so exciting. Wow. Uh, did you film any of like, the making, if that makes sense? Uh, no. I do want to make a video about working with a Korean artist and just trying to make this. I think maybe later. Okay. We'll see. Okay. Sounds good. Oh, I look forward to it. Um, hey. But what are we doing today? First, we have the first round of the journalist as our guest. Yes, the journalist. Today, we have Tamar Herman, Crystal Bell, Lai Francis, and Sarah Lane, a.k.a. Young Ajima. Uh, they have been writing and covering K-pop for some years now, and they have insights as well as advice uh, we thought people might like to know about, you know? Or, you know, just like, you know, if you want to be an upcoming journalist mm. or a future journalist, they, I think they will have good advice. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and I'm really excited to have them on. They kind of gave us some insights into, uh, you know, some stereotypes or things that people might have thought that journalists had to deal with that they don't have to deal with mm-hmm. or that they have to exactly. deal with that we didn't even think about. Um, so before we get into that, though, let's announce the winner of our EXO Lightstick giveaway. Ooh, okay, okay. So the winner of the EXO Lightstick, wow, mm-hmm. is uh, Ligaya. I think that's how it's pronounced. Ligaya. Ligaya, you are the winner. Congratulations. Yeah. Please email us at inmyfeelspodcast at gmail.com. That is inmyfeelspodcast at gmail.com saying that you are the winner and we will coordinate on how to get that lightstick to you. Yes, make sure to say EXO Lightstick winner, yes, in the subject. Yes, that please. That would be amazing. Um, and yeah, we have another giveaway for our premium listeners. Um, so Ooh. if you are a Mamamoo fan, specifically a Hwasa fan, um, or mm-hmm. you can just be the whole group, you know, we're not saying solo fans, just anybody. If you like Hwasa, um, uh, we are giving away her first album, Maria. Mm-hmm. Maria, Maria, Maria. Okay, no, no, no. Um, okay, so Hwasa Maria, we're giving away her first physical um, solo album, um, and we're only having it for premium listeners of the podcast. So if you haven't already, Correct. you got to make sure, and you want this album, download the Himalaya app, follow In My Feels, and when you do that, there's a little yellow tab, and it says become a member today. It's only four ninety nine a month. Mm-hmm. And when you click that, and then you go into the payment section, you can enter in the code capital H, lowercase i, dash, lowercase m, capital P, capital P, capital R, seven, and that will get you 30 days free. Not your first month free, but it will get you 30 days free. And mm. you will be entered into that giveaway once you, um, once you 
become a premium member, screenshot that premium membership and send it to mifeelspodcast at gmail.com with Hwasa Maria in the subject line. And that will be your official entry into the giveaway. So make sure to do that. And um, what else? Yeah. um, I think that's about it. I think that's (laughs) it too. Um, Thank you guys for listening. Happy Yes. early 30th birthday dre wow wow thank you thank you yeah. appreciate you yeah and um hopefully you guys enjoy this episode all right adios uh along with the youtubers uh round table that we had the past couple of episodes we have a journalist's round table and we have some very special very critically acclaimed and um very notarized journalists out here. I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves. Sarah Lane, aka Sarah Ajuma, or Young Ajuma. We have Live Francis, Tamar Herman, and Crystal Bell. Hello, what's up everybody? It's your favorite Ajuma, Young Ajuma. Uh, I also go by Sarah Lane when I'm writing, and um, I'm not sure how I got here. <laughs> but I do write for an online publication called A1 Radio, as well as some other publications uh, that are no longer in existence. So thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank you for coming. Hello, I am a writer, producer, editor of all things pop culture and fandom, which includes K-pop. And you can find my work at MTV News, also Teen Vogue, also on YouTube. If it's a fun okay. video that you've watched, I might have produced it. So. Oh, snap. Yes, yes. Stray Kids, God7, MTV stuff. Is that? Yes, nice. Oh. Nice, nice. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Live Francis. I am a multimedia journalist and producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the majority of my publications that I write for are for Tomorrow Magazine and Pop Crush. Every now and then you'll see me on Build Series hosting. Um, and yeah, self-proclaimed girl group enthusiast and that's mm. all. Okay. <laughs> uh, most of all at once. Okay. And <laughs> lastly, um, hi, I'm Tamara Herman. Um, I write for a bunch of outlets like Billboard and Forbes. Uh, I've written with uh, Crystal at MTV. I've worked with Lai. Uh, well, hi, guys. Hi, everybody. I miss everybody. It's so weird not having KCON this year. Right. True. Right. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. Also, shout out, you're having a book coming out very soon? Yeah. Oh, nice. I have a book about BTS called BTS Blood, Sweat, and Tears. It's out on August 11th. Um, you can buy it anywhere. Support your local indie bookstore. I have a whole list I'm happy to hand out if anybody wants. Prepared. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, that's good. You, nice. should, you should check it out. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Lai, Tamar, Sarah, Crystal, we all start out somewhere, right? All of us, whatever you are. Um, how did you start out with your own blog, podcast, et cetera? How'd you start out? Just for everybody to know. Who should go first? Let's see. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Lai. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, where did I start? Well, I start, obviously... Before becoming a professional, you are you be, you are a fan of something, right? right? So, I guess it came from my discovery on YouTube of Girls' Generation, and then just you know starting from there, I turned my Tumblr into Tumblr. A, a girls girl group appreciation <laughs> Tumblr page of anything that had to deal with Girls' Generation and Wonder Girls and Miss A and Brown Eyed Girls, and the list goes okay. on, right? Um, and then eventually, I started going to concerts, and from concerts, I 
just grew the balls to network my way through mm. to see like different people in the industry and eventually uh yeah one thing led to another and it made me make it, it i finally made the decision in in college that i wanted to pursue journalism or something in the multimedia f- field where i get to tell the stories of people who i can identify with in the media in terms of you know asians because um, you know in in western media we don't see that much representation sure. right so um I kind of wanted to be that person to tell these stories through music and pop culture because these are things that I love. Yeah, that's how I started. I started off as an intern for a publication that's not as great as it used to be. Mm. <laughs> and okay. uh, then it led to CBS Radio where I dabbled a little bit on promoting some K-pop in there as an intern. And then eventually Pop Crush tomorrow allure all these contributions as a freelancer mm-hmm. um and then you know kcon happened and that actually led me to build series so <laughs> love seeing the trajectory to build series that was really cool sarah okay well like glad said um i also started as a fan and um i began writing for drama fever um mm. which i'm sure if you ever watched a k-drama in the early like 2010s then you would have been on trauma fever and from there it just kind of um went on i found a1 radio which was just starting out at the time um and one day they were like we need somebody to talk to some people and i was like well i like talking to people who are we going to who are we doing and yeah that's pretty much how it started and that's it. I did not go to school for journalism or anything. I'm actually a teacher. So everything that mm. I do is freelance. Um, but it's been a wild, crazy, fun ride. And I really would not change this for anything. All right, bet. Nice. All right. Crystal. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I have a pretty boring path to journalism because I I took what is now probably the abnormal path which is going to journalism school which again I don't think to be a journalist you have to go to journalism school and I think we're seeing that a lot especially right now a lot of young exciting writers never went to journalism school um but I did so I went to NYU I studied journalism and sociology because very smartly they make you double major because they realize that statistically you got to have a backup plan. So, um, yeah, I just, True. I did a, the very typical thing of I went to journalism school. I did internships. I interned for Billboard for a year. I did a semester in New York, a semester in London. And I just really loved music. I really loved pop culture. And it was at that Billboard internship that I wrote kind of my first K-pop article. And one of their first K-pop articles, which is pretty cool, um, that was in like 2009. It was about Wonder Girls. So that was oh, fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, the OGs. So, so yeah, I kind of just fell into love and writing about pop culture because I loved it. So, you know, every journalist is kind of like, I have this vivid memory of being in my, my first day of this, this class uh, at J school and everyone's going around and being like, okay, what do you read every day? And it was like all of these like white men who are like, I read the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the, you know, you know, very typical. And mm-hmm. then they get to me and I'm like, um, I read Teen Vogue. I read Seventeen Magazine. <laughs> I read, you know, it was just like pop culture and it was things that celebrated young women. So mm-hmm. looking back, I'm not surprised that I'm doing what I'm doing because I've always really loved the 
the stories of young women and really uh, vibed with and championed their stories. So yeah, from J school, I kind of just, I graduated, got a job at HuffPost, had a lot of jobs in between, ended up at MTV News for five and a half years. And now I'm kind of navigating the freelance life. So yeah, it's, mm. it's been, it's always an interesting ride with, uh, with journalism, but I think my approach was pretty, pretty boring in comparison because it was so predictable. All right, but lastly, Tamar. Um, I also kind of just fell into it. Um, I started blogging when uh, about K-pop when I was studying abroad in Korea. I was already, you know, a K-pop fan, and nice. I kind of assumed there was no future in journalism because that's what everyone in New York media tells every young person: don't do it; it's a bad idea. Um, but I always liked writing, and I actually found out about K-pop through like some writing forums I was involved in when I was a teen. And then when I was in college after I was already blogging and writing, I, I don't remember if I was writing already for like a rinky dinky K-pop site that paid $5 an article, which I met a uh, lie and a lot of other really great people there. And at the same time, I happened to get an internship through, I went to um, Queens College and oddly enough through like my business minor, I got an internship at NBC New York. So I ended up like in a newsroom there while I was ready. Like I considered this like, yeah, this is like, you know, bonus money and like maybe I can go cover a concert and stuff, but I didn't really think that like my hobby was going to turn into anything, but I really did love journalism. Like uh, my college had actually gotten rid of their journalism department a few years ago, uh, so there wasn't really that much to do. So I like took like one or two journalism classes, but it was always something in the back of my mind. So when I got the internship at NBC and I was happened to be writing, uh, it was kind of like a fellowship on the job at NBC. So I was there for a year and a half, first as an intern and then as a PA. And at the same time, I was writing about K-pop and I ended up, um, I ended up being like the overnight PA. So I was okay. showing up to work at like 2.30 a.m. until oh. like 1.30 p.m., which was great because that was daytime in Korea. So it was, mm. I was the only person for this outlet that paid, you know, $5 an article awake and I happened to work on a three-hour news show and the news show in between what I had to do uh, I had a lot of time so I got a lot of experience writing quick news pieces as the news broke in Korea for this place while I was actually learning about like real news gathering and um, investigative journalism at NBC so I was there for about a year and a half doing this and after that um, I kind of hopped around I was working in film uh, television production for a little bit while I was writing I started writing for places like MTV. I, this actually just came up the other day that, um, I don't know if anybody else remembers Adrienne Stanley. She was like one of the first people to really start writing about K-pop for a lot of outlets and she introduced a lot of people to MTV Iggy. And so from MTV oh, wow. Iggy, I started pitching other places like NBC. NBC that's like had nothing to do with my NBC. So people were just like, oh, you're at the other end part of NBC now. I was like, yeah. Um, and then eventually Billboard uh, saw what I was doing and someone connected us and I started started writing more or less permalance for Billboard. Um, and then that more or less became my career and I got to quit from the production thing that was terrible. And yeah, I've been doing that for since 2016 now, more or less. Dang. Wow. $5 per article. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say that no wow. one today in our, you know, 2020 should be 
accepting a job that pays you five dollars an article please don't if that's the one piece of advice you get from this podcast please don't do that please don't yes yeah i still know of one that does five dollars an hour and they chalk it up to like it's you're getting 15 an hour so it's like essentially like if you write three articles an hour it's like 15 so it's like i don't know i don't know Um, I wonder actually, because all of you guys sort of, uh, in your own way have started your own thing. Um, I know Tamar, you know, you had cold scene, uh, or you still have cold scene, you know, uh, uh, lie, you just started your own podcast. Um, Sarah, mm-hmm. you have, you know, your young Ajima blog mm-hmm. and things like that. And I'm sure, you know, you spearheaded a lot of stuff at MTV after MTV Iggy. Oh, MTV Iggy was like an indie blog. Back in the day, MTV had different blogs for different kind of verticals. Oh. That was a very old concept for media, right? To like section off content. Right. So right. MTV Iggy was like the cool indie <laughs> blog and a mm. lot of the K-pop stuff. But yeah, so we kind of uh, brought it back in like 2017 once BTS was kind of becoming too big to, mm. I think, ignore, uh, frankly. So, and a lot of people didn't know how to cover it and they were scared to cover it um, for mm. various reasons. And I was like, I know this world. I've been a K-pop fan for a, a really long time. Let me have it, even though it was not my job. Like my job was to like write about no. movies and television shows and celebrities. And they were like, sure, you can have this. So I kind of ended up adopting it and okay. very happy that I did. <laughs> So when you're when you're doing your own thing, like starting your own thing, how I mean, aside from if, if you're not paid for it, like how do you guys make sure that you're consistent with it enough to, you know, um, continue to like, you know, like Sarah, your blog is so consistent. Like you were posting about, you know, the beyond <laughs> the live stuff like you were in, in yeah. K contact, like you're so consistent with it, you know, a, a blog, which like. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I don't know of anybody mm-hmm. out here. Like, you know, it used to be a thing like, oh, start your own blog. Like, just yeah. start something. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, you know, everyone like has podcasts or, you know, a YouTube channel or, right. you know, they go on different. Uh, like, I, I don't know of anybody that's like, you know, still doing blogs. So like, how do you guys try to stay consistent with what the maybe the unpaid or like self-motivated content that you guys are putting out? You know, how, how do you make sure to stay consistent with that? Well, the stuff that I write about with Awen right now, I have a contract to um, interview rookies. So that's my like job there, but that's not the only thing that I'm interested in. And I know that there are a lot of people out there who like to, you know, read still (laughs) somewhere out there. Um, And, you know, they want to learn about other things like, yeah, K idols are great, but um, what about movies or just like the concert kind of in an abstract form? So that's why I write still on my blog. It's basically just whatever I feel like writing, you know, op-eds that I know are not going to get picked up by anybody. I just kind of throw there just so I can get that out because I'm sure the other writers on here will know. Sometimes it feels like the words are like tingling in your fingertips. Like you just got to write something about a certain topic. And a lot of times it's not something that anyone else might be interested in paying for. But that doesn't mean you don't want to write it. You still want to write about it. So that's why I keep my blog. And honestly, I'm, <laughs> I'm not as active as I should be on there because it's like maybe once or twice a month at this point. Mm. Okay. 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 Just by everybody around me, I guess we're all journalists except for me and him. <laughs> but, <laughs> and we all write, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so how important is it to like figure out what to write, host, et cetera? Because there's so many avenues now. Like do a lot of people just say start. Like even me as a YouTuber, I just like, just start. Uh, what is your like advice for that? Uh, 
I think that it's always important to have a point of view. Um, That's where the most compelling content comes from. I don't Mm -hmm. always want to just read a a recap of a music video that maybe, you know, a lot of other outlets have written about or something that you can find anywhere. Like the, the content that really sticks with me is content that has a really strong identity and a really strong point of view and they're they're saying something they're contributing to the conversation in some way they're using their voice in some way to be really engaging um so i think that's where to start it's sometimes you know yes there's like so many things especially in k-pop there's so many things happening at every every day you could have five releases like look what just happened on, on monday i feel like there were so many releases but you really have to ask yourself what do i add to this conversation and what do i have to say because that's what's going to make your content stand out. Yeah, I think just okay. making sure that you're adding to the conversation again and you're, you have a real strong point of view, like that's, that's where it should start. Start with the idea. Don't start with, well, I have to write this. And I'm, it's something mm-hmm. that I'm now forcing myself to learn now that I'm freelancing full-time as opposed to working mm-hmm. full-time. So I'm now being like, I get the opportunity to tell the stories that I want to tell. And I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to miss that. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really focusing on like, what are the stories that only me, Crystal Bell, like I can tell and the stories that I want to tell. And so that's okay. where it starts for me, at least like that. It starts very much with like, how, what is my point of view? What am I adding? To, to expand on that, I, it's, you know, besides having a point of view, it's also how passionate you are uh, concerning a certain artist or, or, um, music or something if something resonates with you that's how you get your gears going um and like for me if it were to be like a new album release on how let's see who just released a new song suddenly right suddenly just released a new single um we can just talk about how visually the color purple is the key aspect to her current um promotions right um so it's like it, it, it's really going down to not only your point of view and also but also your how passionate you are about this artist and how long or how much of a fan because you're trying to put a fan's perspective on it too so people can relate to it right so you're putting a mix of professionalism and your fandom in there um, and that's what grabs the readers overall so i hope that makes sense no, yeah, it does. I was wondering, you know, talking about the, y'all's point of view and um, making sure to make it unique enough. Like, I'm wondering, like, do you have to go search out, like, okay, who else wrote about this? And let me see, make sure that it's like different. Like, is that part of the the process as well when you're pitching, or is it more of like, um, like you're you just know that your pitch is unique? Um, I guess, like it you know, I guess you can't cover every single publication to see who's writing about it, but how do you go about making sure that yours is unique and that you're not rewriting whatever, you know, I don't know, Teen Vogue might've said if you're writing for MTV News. Yeah, I think every writer thinks that they're a genius. (laughs) I think every writer, every content creator, every creative person thinks that they're a genius and they think that they're like the first person to ever have this really cool thought, but you absolutely have to look and see what else is online because chances are, you're probably not the first, but that's okay. Like I wrote about K-pop fans learning Korean um, mm-hmm. after you know the release of uh, 
the, the BTS uh, language initiative that they, that they did. And I wanted to write about it. And I was like, how do I write about this? Because there was already this really incredible piece that had already been done on another site. And I was, you know, I read that piece and I was like, what can I add here? And I was like, the, the new information here is BTS, right? BTS really driving this mm -hmm. conversation. And so I framed it around that. And I framed it, I said, what can I add to this conversation? But you absolutely have to look at what is already out there mm -hmm. because yeah, you don't want to just kind of maybe regurg regurgitate content. This applies to literally everybody, but always do your research. Oh yeah, definitely. There's so many instances where when I go into an interview or write something up, most likely I reference and read other people's articles because that's yeah. how you get in-depth research and that's how you learn more about the stories of the artists that uh, you're about to tell us their stories about so i think it's so funny because lion crystal tend to do a lot of like features and a lot of like videos and stuff and for me because i come from like a newsier side of things like for me it doesn't really matter what i think at all like i mm. i'm like petrified of op-eds actually i just started writing them recently and they're terrifying like i hate putting myself in the story i don't think like anyone cares what i think like i think at the end of the day it doesn't matter really what i think about something as much as what i think needs to come to be out there into the world and like what I can use my like position to tell the world like mm. nobody cares if I was struggling like to write this story nobody cares <laughs> like for me for my job my job is to find the stories that can be told and how can I tell them and like I don't need to like it like sometimes like the stories that I think are never gonna go that are I'm gonna have no personal interest in are like the most fascinating so like I do do interviews nowadays that are like Q&A's but like mm -hmm. Uh, nobody really cares about the question everyone just cares about the answers so like that's mm -hmm. kind of more my my perspective is how do i get these stories out there because you don't need to know about my story my story is not interesting well that's really i mean i think tomorrow is hitting at a really really interesting point because mm -hmm. it's different types of journalism right like there's yeah. no one way to tell a story and i think it's really important for your listeners to actually understand different approaches to interviewing artists and to telling stories and so really there's these two avenues, right? You kind of sit down and you're like, am I going to write a profile or am I going to, uh, am I going to have a conversation and run mm. a Q and A mm. and they both have their merits. The point of doing a profile, right, is to capture moments and to capture details. And most importantly, to have observations. Like you are inserting yourself in the story somewhat, but it's because you're pulling observations. You're reading between the lines. You're seeing how they move and how they interact with each other and you're drawing a conclusion. And that's kind of the, important, uh, the importance of a profile. It, it gives you this robust picture of somebody. And yes, you are, it is relying on the writer to kind of fill in those emotional gaps. But you know, it's a lot of nuance, it's a lot of detail. Q and A's are conversations and they're brilliant conversations. Like you have to be a really good conversationalist to have a compelling Q and A because you have to have really, um, you have to just know how to ask follow-up questions. You know mm -hmm. how you have to know how to be an engaging interviewer. Like Q and A's are not easy. <laughs> I think there's like this misconception that maybe they are a good Q and A. Absolutely not. They're just different ways and different avenues. Even a profile. I know writers who do insert themselves in the story. I've definitely done it before. And I also know other writers who don't. Like they can write a profile without ever referencing themselves. Really, they're just there to be a fly on the wall and to capture a moment. Um, I do think it is funny because we're seeing a lot more K-pop profiles, especially 
the last year. I think because there are more writers and, mm -hmm. and, and these writers want to tell different stories, we're seeing more profiles being written. And the constant reaction from fans that I see online, and I've gotten this, I have friends who have gotten this, is like, wow, this reads like fan fiction. And I love that because it just means that we as storytellers are telling good stories and you're being captivated and you're reading them and you're like engrossed. You're like, oh my gosh, this person moved their hand and laughed and, you know, like, you know, like, they're very like, this is fan fiction. And it's like, no, this is actually journalism. But you're, you know, you're just, we're, we're breaking it in. And you're, you know, I think um, it, it's really funny to see like that really descript kind of profile writing being being considered fan fiction and I always think it's a good compliment and there's that about that being a compliment but that makes sense <laughs> it makes sense in that in that respect um Sarah what's your favorite type of uh piece to write or cover am, you know through radio yeah I'm definitely a conversationalist so mm. um I actually do insert myself to a degree in the article but not like well I'm doing this and this is happening it's more of a I love talking to people. So when I have these Q and A's with artists, um, and there, I'm sure everyone here understands. Like there is a list of questions that you are clear to ask, but when you're doing follow ups you know, sometimes there's a question that pops up in your mind while you're having this conversation. It's mm -hmm. not on the list, and yeah. it's like, okay, well, let me just, and just the look. <laughs> on like managers and everybody sitting on the other side of, you know, the Skype table right now, mm -hmm. um, as they realize this is not an improved question. Uh, so just finding a way to ask those questions, kind of slide them in, mm -hmm. and then being able to um, regurgitate, if you will, everything mm -hmm. onto paper. Um, that's what I love to do. It's absolutely terrifying. It's nerve-wracking. I have had many a meltdowns <laughs> trying to put everything together, but at the end of it, I love um, the end result of just making a conversation, you know, just putting that conversation that you had onto paper, having it flow properly. I don't know why I love it so much because when you're in the middle of writing it, it's like, I'm never doing this again. You know, they, everybody's going to hate this. I hate it, you know. Damn. I love reading like a good Q and A. Like there, when you can tell, like when you're reading something, you can tell that two people or, you know, multiple people are just vibing. Like that's mm. kind of the best Q and A, and I always go back to um, a piece I believe from 2017. It was Taylor Glasby. She interviewed mm. RM for Days Digital, RM mm. from BTS, obviously. And I always go back to that Q and A because I just think it was two people, like right time. They they just were on the same. They were vibing. They were on the same page, and it's just probably one of the more honest interviews RM's ever done. And mm. I always revisit it because I like to just I like to just feel like I'm there with them. And I think that's like when you're reading a good Q and A, you kind of just feel like you're there with them. I feel like speaking of Taylor Glasby, she I I always think of her Monster X article that she did like last year. That was. Mm -hmm. They were vibing. <laughs> they were definitely vibing. But see, like, that's another thing of, like, a really, really great feature, a really, a really great um, feature and that captures a moment. And kind of, to me, when you're writing a profile, I think the goal is to make fans feel like they're there, you know, and to, like, make mm -hmm. them feel like a lot of fans will never get the chance to meet their favorite artists, you know, and that's, and it's not just for K-pop, it's for celebrities at large. And I felt mm -hmm. like that Monsta X article, it made me feel like I knew what being in Monsta X's presence would be like. You guys are talking about like, you know, when you're in interviews and things like that, and obviously 
I'm not sure completely if it's different between, you know, K-pop and maybe like obviously westernized media. But, you know, obviously when you go into interviews and most of the time, like you mentioned, Sarah, you're given like questions that you're, you're, you're cleared certain questions and then certain mm -hmm. ones you cannot answer. And in journalism, I'm sure you learned this in, in journalism school, um, Crystal, but like uh, I know a lot of journalists sometimes are like, I'm not going to give you questions because that's like, you know, not journalistic integrity or however you want to call it. But like, mm -hmm. is that something that to this day, maybe still, you know, and you can answer this tomorrow, lie, like, is that something that you guys feel sort of like, uh, like, or are you just used to it? Like, I'm sure you guys are probably both used to like the fact that, okay, I have to give you my questions, but like, how does that work? Yeah, I don't give questions. Oh, you don't? Um, no. Um, if someone tells me they need questions, like I'll be like, here's some talking points and then I'll be like, do the bare minimum. Like, yeah, I'm going to talk about your album and I'm going to talk about your song and I'm going to talk about, oh. you know, maybe your songwriting. And oh. that's pretty much what I do. And if you don't want the interview, like, okay, well, I walked away from an interview at KCON last year because KCON makes you send questions to get passed mm -hmm. on. Um, so that's the only time I do questions. Mm. And I got there and I had actually been really surprised that questions were approved were approved and then I got there and they were like well only four of your questions are approved mm. and we spent like 15 minutes fighting about why those questions couldn't be approved and then I essentially said nope we're done so um, I walked oh, away from wow. that interview there's definitely times where I'm like I don't do email interviews if, if it's a, like a long form interview like if it's like like I just did a KCON piece and um, they got like some quotes from GFriend members which was really nice but like that I don't consider as an interview that's just like adding color to um, a story um, like a business focused uh, feature so but for an interview yeah I don't um, I'm trying to think the last time I gave like real questions for an interview. The thing is like somebody once told me and I actually tweeted this out and some and people thought it was like an insult, but I actually thought it was like the best compliment ever. Uh, someone told me that like being a PR for an interview with me is really difficult because they have to like be on like their toes because even if I mm. do get like, cause there have been times when people are like, well, if you don't submit any questions. So I submit like six questions and then I go in and I ask whatever I want because you know, um, if you want PR, just hire someone to do PR. Like um, PR people all the time just put together Q and A's with artists and send those out to people. And like a lot of the times those become like blog posts and stuff. And so if you want that, like get your PR team to do that. But if you want someone to tell your story beyond, you know, the, the everyday Q and A's, like there's no point in wasting a bunch of journalists times by just regurgitating the same answers over and over and over again. There's some things beholden to the companies, right? Especially if you're writing for a smaller outlet and you might not get mm. the interview if you don't send questions in advance. These artists, their first language is not English, and so they want to prepare them. And I think it's twofold because when you're interviewing K-pop groups and Korean artists, you're also relying on a translator to convey your message often. That's another kind of hurdle sometimes is maybe your, your question's not being translated the way that you ask them. I always say, here are some questions, here are some talking points, but I'm free to ask follow-ups. And I find that more often than not, when you're in the room with an artist and you mm -hmm. ask a follow-up or you ask a question that maybe was not approved, they just answer it, you know? And if, and, it's, yeah. and if it's not offensive and no one says something like out of line, everyone's just cool. And, you know, it's almost like management is very, they're almost too cautious. But then when you're actually in a room with somebody and you're asking them and you're having a good conversation, nine times out of 10, they don't care. You can ask whatever you want. And so it was just kind of like jumping through hoops to get to that moment where you're in the room with I, an artist. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had an issue 
like with a PR person interrupting, like people always are like, oh, you know, K-pop interviews have to do questions. And I'm like, the questions are literally just like for them to vet. (laughs) I did have one instance with the group and I feel like it's important to say it was a girl group and they gave me an answer and then their manager spoke to them in Korean and then they gave me another answer. (laughs) So I did kind of have that issue, which was really interesting. And I was like, "Hmm, okay. I, I did I did just remember one where something was struck from the record, which was a ridiculous thing, which was that the group went out drinking and the members were having fun and talking about that and the PR didn't want that to be on the record. Oh, true. But I would much rather have something be struck from the record than to never having the opportunity to ask it. You know what I'm saying? Like I would much rather have an interview and have the management say, like, by the way, they said this and we just really we don't want that, you know. And I am much more like you know i'll be like okay yeah i'll work with you but if you're trying to just like x cross off questions without even me getting the chance to ask them that's where i get kind of really annoyed and i've gone back to companies before to really press them and say what is your problem with this question and oftentimes it's like they just don't understand or the tone is different like they 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 don't understand that maybe it's it's something that's not like a super serious question they're like why are you asking this and i'm like no this is just to be like fun and it's like oh okay and then once you explain it's fine the first time i ever covered a group for billboard was for was got seven and it was when bam bam was really obsessed with dabbing and like they asked for questions and this was like when i was just starting and i included like my last question on the list was um, when will Bam Bam stop dabbing? And it was just like a joke question. And I, and they were like, well, we don't want that to be the end of the interview. Like they were like, yeah, you can't ask that question. And after I pushed back, the response was, well, we just don't want like that to be the final note. For them, it was like very structured. And I recently did like an interview when I was in Korea and I had actually given the translator the questions beforehand, not the, the band didn't get them, but like they were pretty intense questions and she was going by the list like she was going in order I was like no not that question and I just thought it was so funny I was like I just looked to these as like conversations like the list was so important to like the translator who's done this for years and I thought it was like hilarious and, and we had a good laugh about it after she was like oh yeah I just was was just translating oh and that's why I I don't know if it's like this for anyone else but that's why it takes me so long to prepare for an interview and to write questions like my last interview I spent three to four hours writing 18 questions for a group that I know literally everything about and yet I spent four hours writing questions because in my mind I had the conversation because I was like if I'm having this conversation this is how it's gonna go and I was it was there's some real technical gymnastics sometimes that you have to do in your mind to prepare for these interviews sometimes for a group that i know less about the questions come even easier because Mm. it's like i want to get to know them and if it's a group that i literally know everything about then i sit there like wait i know everything so what can i ask them (laughs) you guys were talking a little bit about um research um so let's say there is a group that you don't know anything about um maybe they just debuted and you know some of the members were on produced 101 like mm-hmm. um or whatever show it happens to be or you know that you just never really paid attention to them and now you have to interview them mm-hmm. um how much time do you spend researching these groups like do you feel like you need to go back and obviously listen to their discography read the lyrics then like look up uh you know variety show appearances as well as to understand their personalities and then look up like their own content like how much time do you normally spend when it comes to researching? Well, it kind of depends on what 
or who the group is. Uh, like I said, mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of rookie groups recently, but mm-hmm. I also did an interview with Davi, who has, mm-hmm. he's a an mm-hmm. artist, but he also has written like a lot of songs for Hayes and like Super Junior. So with him, I don't know, if maybe because I was kind of like struck by the, the fandom. I was like, oh, I, I actually, in the beginning, I had no idea who he was. But as I was researching him, I was like, I really do enjoy the music that I'm hearing. So I know the artist, like his discography. But now to go into like all the songs that he's written and like how he got started, um, I was searching the internet, like I was on Reddit, <laughs> like just trying to mm-hmm. find anything <laughs> that I could so I could come up with questions that are not asked like, you know, the kind of the stock questions, like what's your favorite thing to do mm-hmm. when you're not producing music or whatever, you know? So uh, sometimes it can take like a day, a few hours. Other times for me, it takes a lot longer just because I do come from a smaller um, publication. I just want to make sure I do everything well, you know? Why, how do you feel about research? I give myself like a week, a week before the interview is happening. And I would start with the music look through the translated lyrics, who produced what. Um, then I kind of just dive into the whole discography at once. And then after that, my process would be like, all right, if I'm not listening to the music, I'll admit, I'll watch crack videos and unhelpful guys. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you get personality from that, right? Yeah. So, and that's how I actually come up a lot I come up with a good majority of my questions i just dive into their personalities more mm. and eventually i go into interviews and i create these questions with the intense like all right this is going to be the next group i stand mm-hmm. um and that's mm-hmm. that's how that process works for me and nine out of nine out of ten times it has worked out pretty well um and it makes you get a vibe on who they are once you meet them too and you know try to get a feel of their vibe and auras was it any different preparing for you know your interview with itzy and day six um and it was on camera Mm -hmm. like was there any other different preparation that you had to do normally or that was different from your normal interviews that you would do for you know tomorrow mag or uh pop crush dude i was fucking shitting myself And like, but I mean, it's for me. I prefer conversational interviews to bring way more pers- personable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't re- I don't really like writing. I just tend to talk more, uh, and mm. that's how I like to do my interviews. So preparing for that, I was just shitting myself because it was going to be live and it was going to be on camera, mm-hmm. and you know, you have all these fandoms like watching you and like Hawkeyes and you just don't want to you don't want to mess up but at the same time it's like when you do all that research and you kind of already know you get the feel of them and you already know their music you know how their personalities are on variety shows these crack videos and all these guides when we're referring back to all the build interviews like day six and and itsy you have leah and you have jay and you have young k you know who are english speakers and they, they vibe with you because they know the culture so that's why it was kind of, it was easier for me to conduct that interview and weave the the conversation um, but i if you were to ask me if i prefer doing live interviews than written interviews i would definitely prefer live interviews 
um, just because everyone loves something. Everyone loves to see their faves animated on camera and, you know, just it, it's in real time. So yeah. nice. All right, Dre, do you want to ask the next question? All right. Pretty standard question, I feel, because I'm very curious about it. Who are the journalists that have and still inspire you today and why? For me, there are a lot of uh, culture journalists and culture writers, uh, maybe not specific to K-pop. A few of them, though, may have dabbled in K-pop. Um, one being E. Alex Jung, who wrote the BTS cover story for Billboard back in 2018. But he also wrote like a really brilliant Bong Joon-ho profile for Vulture last year. I think, again, he's just a writer that um, is great at profiling uh, celebrities and artists, but also a really great conversationalist and can turn around a really cool, great, in-depth Q&A. Um, uh, there's a writer at Rolling Stone, Charles Holmes. Uh, full disclosure, I used to work with him at MTV News, but I think he is nice. the funniest person I've ever met. And he wrote the Megan Thee Stallion cover story for Rolling Stone recently. Check it out. It's amazing. The lead is perfect. Um, but, and Allison P. Davis at The Cut, another writer that I just really enjoy. Uh, she did a great profile with Lizzo last year. So, yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of culture writers. And I think, you know, everyone here, obviously. Um, also, like, <laughs> who we mentioned, like, Taylor, who I was reading kind of before I was even getting into writing about K-pop a lot, you know, and frequently I was reading her work. Those are those are a few of the writers that really inspire me just because I think they brilliantly capture oh and Rachel Handler at the at Vulture. Lots of Vulture. I'm a I'm a New York gal, so I like those New York writers. But she's so funny. Read all of her Fiona Apple coverage. It's amazing. She's like the only person that Fiona Apple trusts in the world, so she gets like exclusive access. I, I am inspired by people whose work becomes canon. And so I think about this a lot in terms of K-pop. Oftentimes, like when we write something, it becomes canon for fans. Like it becomes part of the, the, the mythos and the lore. And it's something that you'll reference time and time again. Like actually to prepare for this, I reread one of my favorite profiles of all time, which is this amazing profile of Jenny Slate from 2017 by uh, Jada Yon. And it's so good. And I think about it so often and I will quote things. Like, I'll just quote things. Like, I know that Chris Evans, he's like primary colors. And I love that line. And I think about it so often. And then I think about how fans of K-pop read our work and they think about things that we've written. And like, that makes me really happy to know that things that we have all written, fans are taking and talking about. And it's becoming canon. You know, it's becoming part of the lore and it's becoming part of their story, the artist's story. Love it. That was a great answer. Um, all right, Tamar. Um, so, I mean, I was thinking about this and I just, I just wanted to name one person because it's really hard for me to name everybody. Um, but someone whose work that like I, but every time I see it, anytime, anywhere I see it showing up, I'm just like, shit, I wish I wrote that, is Alana Kaplan. She's a freelancer and does a lot of really, really great profiles and does like a lot of like oral histories about pop culture like I just saw on Facebook that she's looking to talk to people who started rollerblading um since mm. COVID like she has done all these like really great like anything that's like a trend that you as a human being or like I guess as a me as a human being as I'm interested in she's like in my brain so like she did mm. something with Josie and the Pussycats is I think 25th anniversary I don't know what it was anyway she did like a great oral history about the Josie and the Pussycats movie which is like one of my all-time favorites and she just she's always she does like all these really great features that just like are so obvious and so great and she draws such great insight from all these artists and she has like such like a magic touch and I just really really like uh, if I could be reborn as a writer I'd want to be Alana Kaplan 
Nice. Okay, Sarah. Gosh, I don't, how can I go after that? <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course like, like, everyone is wrong. I As long as I've been writing, um, I still don't feel like the journalist title fits on my shoulders well, because I'm just having fun. Hmm. So I don't know, but I would say she's not even like, a tra- I don't want to say traditional journalist, but like Robin Roberts, the way she conducts interviews, um, I love it because it just seems like I'm sitting down at a coffee shop with a friend that I haven't seen in a long time and we're just catching up. Mm. And mm. that's how I like to do interviews. That's how I like to write, you know, even if it's just like a regular article, I like writing, like I'm just talking with someone. So I kind of look to her when I get stumped on things. I love Can I just say, Sarah, you're like such a real person and a, such a real journalist. I don't want you to think that. Everyone like should read your work. I love your work. I, like... Oh my gosh. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. All right. Lastly, uh, Lai. Not exactly a writer, but someone who definitely inspires me is Sway Calloway and Su Chin Pak. Growing up, I always watched MTV News with them. It really is like MTV News is re- pretty much what triggered me to become who I wanted to be today, um, especially the way of pop culture. I was I didn't really watch cartoons as much. I was I was more Beavis and Butthead. Just went straight to MTV um, mm. as a kid. Um, so I, whenever TRL was on and there was Carson Daly, like those were the people that made me want to jump into broadcasting and wanted me to grab a mic and talk and tell stories. Nice. In my feels. Because we're getting in our feels. Yes. <laughs> Besides writer's block, what other unique challenges have you faced as a K-pop journalist, actually? Let me just say, because <laughs> this happened recently. Uh, it was a Skype, you know, everything now is Skype interviews or Zoom. And this group decided to have their interview in a coffee shop during oh, no. working hours. <laughs> <laughs> my mouth dropped. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> construction going on uh, outside the coffee shop and as I said I'm a teacher in my daytime life we have something called teacher face where it's a smile but it's it's one of those smiles where you're not really smiling yeah but it's there (laughs) and so I'm smiling but in my head like is this real life like (laughs) for the first time ever I'm like where the where the managers like where where is everybody to kind of get this under control because it was really bad. Mm. Um, obviously, we had to reschedule. Mm. Um, so things like that. <laughs> mm. And of course, you know, you're working on their time. So mm. it was really freaking late. And I was like, I'm staying up for this shit? Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Rescheduling is definitely like the number one thing, mm-hmm. especially when it happens like one hour. It was supposed to happen an hour before and they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, the artist is tired. Uh, can we reschedule till tomorrow? And we're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I have to do the adjustments. I mean, it's, it's give and take, but usually majority for me it's all writer's block really when like i said when an artist does not give you meat and you have to cure the meat yourself and literally take it from the cow and butcher the cow yourself to get the meat yeah that's 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 the struggle uh and then there's writer's block and then 
there's rescheduling. Those are the three struggles that I go through. Yeah, I think for me, uh, as a producer, like producing shoots and stuff, last minute changes or just, you know, getting to set and and changing things and being like, oh, this artist isn't going to do that, even though they pre-approved it. Mm, like, yeah. that's always super frustrating because then it's, it's not only time on the line, but it's real money on the mm. line. Yeah, you know, like if we've rented a bus and we got this bus for two hours and it was thousands of dollars, we got to be on schedule. And so having things change last minute is is super frustrating now do i think that it could happen literally with any celebrity absolutely i've interviewed a lot of people not just k-pop idols they're all late always um but when it's a group of people as matt like k-pop entourages are no joke like it's 30 people sometimes more than 30 people then it gets a little stressful because you're like i not only have to worry about these individuals who are in the group but i have to worry about the 20 other people that they brought with them and make sure that these people are in the building these people are on the bus or these people everyone's where they need to be and i want to be you know as a producer you're also kind of like a host (laughs) you're also you're spinning a million plates and you want to make sure everybody's happy and i think the other frustrating part sometimes is i'm so grateful to translators um Obviously, I would not be able to do this job without translators, so I am very grateful to them. Um, And I am learning Korean, but I don't know nearly enough. I can't have a full conversation. So I'm very grateful to translators, but sometimes it's hard because I think the best interviews that I've done are when I have like a pre-existing relationship with a translator, which which happens in this field because you do work with people a lot. And um, when I have that pre-existing relationship, there's like a lot of trust and like they know my style, I know their style. And then it's like, we are a team. I'm like a team with the translator. Sometimes when it's like, you're just meeting the translator or you're on the phone and there's just like a translator and you don't even know, there's just like a voice. That can be, it's always really hard because you're basically relying on them to ask your questions and to convey your message. So I have to have a lot of trust in that person. And so again, it's not that I've had bad experiences with translators. There's only been one instance where I feel like I had to get things retranslated because I didn't think that things were translated the way that things were actually said and I was I was correct. So I had to get it retranslated. But um, it's always a unique challenge, I will say that. You know, I'm thinking about this and I wonder, you know, if you're pitching to a new publication and you need to do this article and um they've never done k-pop or they rarely do it and you need a translator is it up to you to figure out who that translator will be or is it up to the editor of the the publication and on top of that with that in mind would you recommend freelancing or you know committing yourself to an organization definitely not obvious that the company will pay for it that is not obvious at all um there is not obvious that many freelance companies will pay for translation or transcription um, I was not getting transcription paid for for Billboard for years and then like a year ago one of my editors was like why aren't you invoicing us for that and I was like oh because that was never made clear to me that that was a thing I could do so yeah there have been times when I've had to find rooms or there have been times when I've had to say to PR like um, if you don't get a room I can't afford to get a room so we're just not going to do the interview so like we've either together got an airbnb or something as a freelancer um some outlets uh, like for billboard i could just i literally could just say hey can someone book me a meeting space and i'll meet you there and um like I'll, someone will just have to let me in but that's like i think it's important to attach yourself to an organization that 
wants K-pop but is also willing to spend the money on it, especially as a freelancer. Like, I don't particularly uh, love freelancing. I think I fell into it and, and I made it work and I, like, can do the hustle, but I, I don't think it's necessarily um, a good thing because you can't really um, grow what you're doing without being limited by other people, which happens at any org, but as a freelancer, like, there's no rhyme or reason sometimes given for things. There have been plenty of times where it's like, yeah, that should happen, but then, oh, you hear budget cuts or something. And, like, my first BTS interview was an absolute disaster. Um, I got there, and they told me, oh, yeah, you know, we had to reschedule some other interviews, so you only have seven minutes. There was some other oh. stuff that happened, and then I ended up talking to them more in the hallway, like, while they were eating burgers, but, like, that didn't turn into part of my interview. And then this was the first time I was writing for a new outlet because Billboard has other people who cover K-pop, so I think Jeff Benjamin was writing that BTS interview. So mm -hmm. I was like... I'm going to find a new place to work with. And I work with an outlet. And uh, not only did the editor like rewrite my entire piece, but apparently another editor published it with a headline that even my editor hated. So like the entire piece was just absolutely terrible. Uh, yeah. But it was also at the, at the time the most I had ever made for a piece. And I was just sitting there staring at this like, I should be really happy right now. But this was all around like traumatizing. Um, so there's just like a lot of moving parts at that time, you know, most K-pop teams do provide translators. Um, I think like maybe once every, I don't know, every six months I have to pay for a translator. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think it's super common. The, the last time I had to get a translator was, uh, for Wavy, which was <laughs> weird for a lot of reasons. Um, and I got a, a really phenomenal translator, but she walked out and she was just like, um, I should have watched some of their videos because they were so chaotic that, like, she just couldn't keep up with their um, chaos. And I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. She was just like, you guys were speaking in English and then Korean and then Chinese, and I was just losing my mind. And, um, <laughs> it was funny. So sometimes that happens. Um, getting lost in translation is definitely something that happens. There's only been one time where I've actually stopped an interview because the translator was literally just like, I'm giving you a two sentence question you're asking five words um and sometimes i think the best interviews are the ones for me um uh, just because i do have that understanding are with groups like uh got seven who like the korean speaking members understand a lot of english and then they have a lot of english members so like i can just ask the question in english and they can respond in korean and we can move forward so some most of my interviews now uh like are kind of like that i had a group once that was intentionally making their answers more complicated for the translator they were using these really old kind of expressions because they were just, I, they were trolling her. trolling her, yeah. They were comfortable enough with her because she had been touring with them. So they were comfortable enough with her. They were just like touring, trolling her and they were like, sorry, Nuna. And I was just sitting there being like, this is great color. Like this to me tells me more about the group sometimes than their actual answers. Like that whole interaction, I was like, this is great. I can use this. Speaking of that. What interpersonal skills do you feel like you need for interviews, you know, when it comes to sitting down or through Zoom or Skype like you were doing, Sarah? What interpersonal skills do you feel like you need to know? If you're, you know, you might be a fan and, you know, you might need to rein it in like real quick kind of thing. What kind of suggestions and like skills do you think you need to have? So my first interview that I ever did, um, actually, I met Lai at the first interview I ever done. Was it Dynamic Duo? Yeah, yeah, it was Dynamic yeah. Duo. Yeah, and I was like uber fan for like the first two questions. And then I kind of like heard myself talking to them. 
And you know when you meet someone that you really admire, you start like smiling really big and you're like, so, and it was like, whoa, <laughs> like dial it back like six notches, you know? So um, remember that they're human and that it's okay if you kind of flub your lines, um, if you have a brain fart, like shit happens, you mm. know? So, sure. and they understand that. And a lot of times I feel like they kind of appreciate that if they see like, okay, she's, really human just like i am and i'm not trying to treat you like up here like we're all on the same level even though you know you probably make way more in one day than i do (laughs) (laughs) ever but when i get really nervous i just think okay these guys are like my kids or the girls or they're like my kids age so just they're normal you know just be normal (laughs) i love that reading body language too Mm -hmm. is important i think especially capturing like again just capturing those small moments like how someone says something or the reactions of other members when that person says something i know a lot of um, other journalists like to record their interviews obviously the video never sees the light of day but they do it just so that they could rewatch it and kind of read Mm -hmm. everyone's interactions and Mm -hmm. body language um you know i don't personally do it because i i think sometimes even even something as simple as an iphone can make an artist almost nervous i do think that Mm -hmm. there is a you get a different person that on camera versus off camera you know, do I think pieces that have that those details in them are richer? Yes. So it's a personal decision as a writer that you have to make. And, and we all have our different, uh, I think we all kind of operate differently and we all do things a little bit differently. But, um, but I think, yeah, the ability to really just like, don't just focus on what they're saying. I know it's like you want, it's like super compelling and you want to just like focus on everything they're saying. Like, look at, look at sometimes what's not being said or look at the way that they say things or, um, you know, the way that they move their hands or like, are they an animated talker? Do they talk like this? Like, I'm Italian. I talk like this, (laughs) you know, like how do they talk? And I think that is, you know, do they get shy when asked certain questions? Like little details like that can make pieces go from being, you know, a really good interview to like an amazing interview or an amazing profile. So just like always being alert and being aware of like what's happening around you. Um, it's not like on the same like wavelength as either of those things, but I I got really overwhelmed during a, an interview with a band I really liked and it was a video interview and mm. I was like panned for it because I, my like fallback is to like just be really super serious about everything. Like I'm not a very um, fun person or animated person and it really came through this interview and people were like trolling me for weeks about it and like I ended up on like blockchains because people thought I just hated the band and I was like no they're one of my favorite groups but that's okay um and I started mm-hmm. taking improv classes and I'm absolutely not a funny human being but improv is really great for like making your brain work and it, and and I, I was really excited because in my class there were people there who clearly also didn't want to be there just like me but we were all like <laughs> we're gonna do this for our our like personal like needs and our life and like there were people who you know are gonna be like on SNL and like 10 years but there was the, like a bunch of us who were there who were like yeah we're doing this for professional development but I did definitely <laughs> learn a lot about how to think about conversations and how to think about um the way you position like your thoughts and how and your expressions if you want to become a better interviewer like on camera I think it was something really helpful because you have to be so quick for improv it's honestly so unfair though hearing you talk about that because as women in this space 
it's like you can't be too animated because then they're like oh she's a fangirl and you can't be you know too dull or like too serious because they're like oh she's not interested and she hates them i i like know if like i take a picture with a group if it's with women i'll be a lot closer to them with men i won't be touching them at all like i have um really awkward pictures with boy bands because like i've been scarred like my thing is is like nobody cares about my fangirling like nobody needs to know that i'm a fangirl so i'm just gonna go totally like super serious journalist because i don't want to be hated because i'm smiling the wrong way because that's happened Mm. before like you don't you don't get to ruin my happiness so like if you think i was being super serious and that's not funny like okay fine go watch a variety show like i'm not asking the questions for entertainment i'm asking questions because like i think there's a story to be told my social media presence isn't that i'm like a k-pop writer mine is that i'm a person and like i'm person who likes k-pop and i like a lot of other things and if you want to follow me go for it but don't follow me just because you think a k-pop writer should be acting a certain way or shouldn't be acting a certain way or should have certain feelings about certain things like Mm. i'm 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 not playing any games like this is uh my career this is something i love like i'm not just doing this because i you know have an agenda and people are always saying things like that about like people who write about k-pop like Oh, they're doing it just for the access. They're doing it just to boost their ego. And I'm sure there are people who are doing that. But, like, I'm doing it because this is something I I think I'm particularly good at. I don't know. Like, idols are humans and journalists are humans. And, like, at the end of the day, we all just want to, you know, do our job and tell a good story. And I don't know. Sorry, this is my TED Talk. No, it's fine. (laughs) It's a big part of, I think, this job. And it's not something that anyone can prepare you for. So I don't even, I don't even think us four talking yeah. about it could prepare you for the complete mental, like, exhaustion that comes sometimes from being, like, a person on the internet. You guys should do a whole separate episode about that because there's a lot to say. I feel like there's so many more questions I really want to ask you guys. Like, I don't want this to end. You guys can continue. I just, I have to, I have to get on a call. Oh, man. Well, thank you, Tamar. Thank, thank you, you guys for having me. I'm really sorry. I just I had back-to-back know. calls. It's all good. No, no worries. Bye. A lot of people I know have been talking about, you know, how, you know, with K-pop fans and their involvement in silencing or, like, making sure that All Lives Matter is not a thing, this unity of K-pop fandom has started to come together. But obviously that's not always the case. But a lot of people have, right. you know, are just now seeing it and are thinking, like, you know, everyone's just a diverse, fun, go-lucky group together, and that's not the case. Um, how do you feel about you know how media have been portraying that and what do you think if there needs to be changed what do you think should be changed oh my gosh okay um (laughs) i know (laughs) such a loaded question i'm sorry yeah um well i have been very vocal lately probably not this week but in the previous weeks i've been very vocal on social media simply because it was like the media bomb dropped and then all of a sudden all these articles were coming out saying how wonderful, like you said, you know, being a K-pop fan is, and it's all roses and candy and sprinkles and whatever. And it's like, yeah, we did, um, and by we, I mean K-pop fans, did a few good things. Um, There are some that I had personal issues with, with, uh, for example, trending the White Lives Matter hashtag instead of trending something else so we don't even have to see something like that. Like, yeah, I get it. You guys filled up this hashtag with fan cams and everything. And I can't tell you how many... (laughs) like requests I got uh, to talk about that and what exactly is a fan cam and it's like come on if I can do research so can you but um, yes that's great however we should not be trending this at all 
you know. Mm. Um, being a fan of color, we have our issues where there is racism and xenophobia. And I wish, like now, uh, there are articles that are being written um, that are getting it right. But in the beginning, that was not so much the case because, like, people were, they're not used to K-pop fandom. And so they kind of just did a quick glance over, if you will. Like, oh, okay, yeah, this, this seems like this always happens and fandoms always come together. No, fandoms have their own agendas, just like everything mm-hmm. else, you know? Mm-hmm. So I wish, and I do see that the change is happening, but <laughs> I wish that it was happening a little bit faster, perhaps, mm-hmm. that um, conversations are being had and people are kind of looking inwardly yeah. at their own fandoms as well as their self. Um, about things because everything is not roses here. It's still great. I still love being a fan, but I also know shit ain't all great. True. Mm. True. Those are all my questions. Thank you for answering that, um, Sarah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Can I actually um, circle back on something that I think could be really important for listeners? What the state of freelance is right now, I think is really important and, and talking a bit about how to get your pitches seen, um, I think could be really, really great for listeners. So. I, for the last five and a half years, I had a full-time job at MTV, and I didn't think much about freelancing. In fact, I never freelanced anything for for five and a half years, and I was really fortunate a lot to be put in a position to commission pieces and to work with writers, um, to work with, you know, Tamar and, and other writers that um, are, that we're all very familiar with, but I, now that I'm the, on the other side of it, it's been really, it's been quite a steep learning curve, especially right now in the middle of coronavirus and and the spread of COVID-19. It has impacted so many newsrooms across our industry and it's impacted so many budgets specifically. Um, It's made getting these pieces about K-pop idols and about K-pop in general really hard to get approved because, you know, no one's got the money to approve a K-pop story right now. Um, so I think just some of the things that I've, I've learned and I want everybody to speak to this because you guys have been doing it a lot longer than I have and I need to learn from you. I think it's really important. I've, uh, really important like how you write your pitch. And as an editor, I know kind of like the pitches that I like to receive and the pitches that always grab my eye versus the pitches that I kind of like maybe looked at, glanced at, and was like pass. And I think uh, it's super important to again, have an idea <laughs> and to, you'll, you'll be really surprised by how many writers who are just like, I want to talk to this person, or are you looking for someone to talk to this, the, this artist or this group? And they don't really offer much of a, of a framing point or a point of view or an idea. It's just like, can I talk to them? And so first of all, don't do that. <laughs> again, always like if there's a release you're excited about that you want to review, or if there's a story that you see emerging on, on Stan Twitter that no one's covering, and you find to be like this really cool story, or if you see um, a group that is rising and no one's really talking about them, um, have that idea, like frame it, treat it like, I would always say like, treat it like the first um, maybe 300 words of your piece. Like that lead is kind of what you wanna go into your pitch and really frame it as like, this is the story. Um, don't make your pitches too long, so don't give them, like, a 700-word opus. Like, keep it to, like, 300, 350 words. Like, editors are really busy, especially right now. There's a lot of coverage, a lot of important priority coverage that they have to do. 
Um, put your, like, really important to have that point of view in your subject line. And if you can, if you've written for other outlets, be like Teen Vogue writer pitch or Pop Crush writer pitch or, you know, add a little color to it, like young, like uh, Gen Z, you know, writer pitch. Like, show them who you are in your subject line and then add, like, so, you know, Gen Z writer pitch and, like, why ATs is going to, rule the world you know like things like that like make make your subject lines really descript and really grabby and I also think um for freelance do your research like we've been saying but also like research the editors so important like I spent I've spent so much time on Twitter like I don't want to like stalking editors and like seeing like what are they what are they like have they tweeted about what they're looking for like literally I like put in a lot of work like do the do that legwork it's really important and um, know, be familiarize yourself with the site. Don't blindly pitch a site yeah. because you like like the site. Actually, read the site and say like, oh, you know what? They've actually already talked to ATs, so maybe I shouldn't pitch them. Or maybe they did talk to ATs, but they didn't talk about this, and so I'm gonna frame it this way. Yeah. So again, like, do your yeah. research, familiarize yourself with the site and the editor, and yeah, those are like the the three really important things I've learned. But Sarah and Lai, you guys have been doing it for longer, so please I, jump I, in. You did the groundwork. Familiarizing with the publication is definitely the most important thing because mm-hmm. that's you want to make sure that you are conveying the same voice as they are. Um, and also, when it comes to editors, girl, Crystal, I did my own stalking too. So, I mean, <laughs> researching, re- researching the editors, looking after who the fellow writers that, uh, you know, other writers under that publication, um, who they follow, who that could lead you to a potential lead. Um, those are the people that you want to look for um, and pitch to or even get some you know, professional advice from. Those are your targets. And then when it comes to actually writing the pitch to these editors and writers, um, I usually just introduce myself with it as my lead. That would be like my first sentence. Um, and then just the, and probably less than 250 words, I would just lay down my pitch um, and then present them with examples of my past work. And that usually gets through almost a good amount of the time. Um, but yeah, it's it, the most important thing is you gotta make sure that the publication that you are pitching for is something that you really wanna be a part of, not just because of the name, but because their messages and their content is relatable to you. Sometimes it's not about the name, but more so making sure that your personality is being put into the work um, mm. for these publications as well. I have absolutely nothing to add. <laughs> they nailed it on the head. <laughs> yeah, it's and don't be discouraged when you don't hear back. I know yeah. that's like the toughest part. My first week of doing like this freelance life, I was so anxious and so afraid that I was gonna become irrelevant that I literally sent so many <laughs> I sent so many pitches, maybe 15 pitches. I probably heard back from only four or maybe five. That's generous of those editors. The other 10, you just, you've got to let go. And it's it's not personal. Editors are busy. They're, we're all human as we've established. Um, I would say if it's not, if you're not on a time crunch, like if it's not a super timely piece that you're pitching, wait a week between sending your first email and following up. Like some, definitely make sure to follow up. Like don't just give up on it if they don't respond. Sometimes just like getting it to the top of their inbox is really helpful again. But just definitely don't like email somebody every day. Building a brand I think is actually really important. So even if you can't get published, there are other ways to publish your art 
to publish your work. There's Medium. Medium's great. Oh, yeah. I know a lot of writers who publish to Medium, like lengthy, beautiful pieces on Medium just that are free. Right. Um, Substack. Right. One of my favorite writers right now, actually, she has a Substack. And she writes about fandom and stand-up, and she, I think she's brilliant, um, Denisha Coolier, and she has this um, substack, it's stan, it's a stan, a stan.substack.com, and it's just a newsletter, you can okay. sign up for her newsletter. Again, there are just so many ways to get your work out there and to get noticed that aren't reliant on editors commissioning mm-hmm. pieces, however, you know, you have to do what makes sense for you, I don't think that... If you can't afford to do it, if you really, like, I think, especially right now, we all have to be asking ourselves these questions, right? Like, mm-hmm. how much am I willing to extend myself mm-hmm. to do this? How much am I, you know, like, I want to write something. Can I write it for free? Do I have the privilege of writing it for free? Um, I'm very lucky that I, I have the privilege of writing articles, at least for right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> until who knows. Um, but, you know, if I wanted to write something on Medium... I could do that. It's a personal thing, but don't, if you want to expand your voice and to expand your, to just write and to be published, there are free outlets available to you to do that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that breakdown. That was definitely necessary. Yeah, for real. Um, to talk about, you know, the ins and outs of freelance. And um, I guess this is kind of following up, but also kind of ending it with, you know, where can people find you for, for you know, if you're freelancing, you're writing however many articles a week. Um, I've seen different types, you know, you can either host your articles on, you know, on any portfolio or on Contently mm-hmm. or Muckracks. Where can people find most of y'all's work? Um, and where can also people follow you um, across social media platforms? Uh, I've seen my work on Muckrack, so I think people could just go to Muckrack. <laughs> um, uh, and then I do have an e-portfolio that I haven't updated, but it's on WordPress. But I will be opening a, co- a content soon. My podcast is um, unofficially, officially ended its first season. It's a slice of life. I talk about anything and everything that comes to my mind. Um, literally anything and everything. Oh. Um, you can listen to it on Anchor and Spotify and uh, Apple, Apple Podcasts. Podcast, and you can follow <laughs> me on Twitter and Instagram. That's LaiFrancis, L-A-I-F-R-N-C-S. Uh, I am on Muckrack right now. Social media, Young Ajima across the board. Y-O-U-N-G-A-J-U-M-M-A-H. And I do want to plug my podcast. I have mm-hmm. a podcast that's on A1 Radio exclusively. Um, but I'm trying to expand on it because uh, I talk about Korean hip hop and R&B mm-hmm. um, about 98% of the time. And I see that it is gaining traction now. Um, a lot of people are interested, especially in the R&B side of mm-hmm. Korean music. So, yeah. Same. Anywhere you can just get like... Um, the online radio stations is where you can find Awen. Awen is A E W E N, and you know that you found the correct one if you see the cute looking um, cat or tiger. We go back and forth deciding on what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, oh, oh yeah, yeah blog, blog also, also youngajima.com, <laughs> where <laughs> I just run my mouth on any and everything. I'm currently a work in progress. I am on Muckrack, so you can catch up on all my older articles there. I'm currently freelancing for a lot of different outlets, including Teen Vogue. Very excited. I have a big profile with a group coming out tomorrow. So by the time that this airs, it will have already been birthed into the world. So very excited about that. I'm trying to build a website, but all the other Crystal Bells have stolen the good URLs. So I'm kind of having an existential crisis about that. 
Um, so maybe I'll look into Contently. I've been toying with the idea of starting a newsletter on Substack, so maybe I'll do that. I mean, the opportunities are just endless. Um, but for now, you can follow all of my thoughts about K-pop and other, and other internet things on Twitter at Crystal Bell, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-B-E-L-L. But yeah, so that's where you can hit me up directly. Like my DMs are open. I'm always down to receive any kind of meme or story lead. Anything you want to talk about, I probably want to talk about it too. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you for for doing this. It's really important. And there are a lot of new emerging writers who I think are always tweeting us and wanting to like know how to get involved and know how to do what we do and having a platform like this i think is the most beneficial thing and helpful thing for them so i appreciate it thank you thank you guys for listening to journalist roundtable one for creating k-pop slash making k-pop with in my feels i'm emily i'm alive and i'm crystal and i'm sarah aka young ajima and we will see you guys next time oh.